journalist. Um, he uh, is the editorial page editor of Turkish Daily News, which is one of two one uh, English-speaking Turkish newspaper. Um, and he has also written uh, for the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, various things. Uh, also an author of a uh, book on the Kurdish question. Uh, Mustafa, please. From the morning or good afternoon, and first of all, many thanks to Hans and Eugene for organizing this event and having you here. It's really very interesting meeting and very interesting talks. Well, my topic is the Ottoman Empire and Turkey and the question, and I think we should actually first a little bit touch upon what the Ottoman Empire was. I'm sure you're all familiar with it, you know about it, but let me see how I, how I see the Ottoman Empire and how I see the transition from the Ottoman Empire to the Turkish Republic, which I see as a very crucial phenomenon, which explains many things we have in Turkey today, many problems we have in Turkey today, including Turkish. Well, the Ottoman Empire was a very long-lived empire. It lasted for more than six, a bit more than six centuries, and uh, from the uh, 13th later, the 19th, basically 1922, or you say, yeah, for you, 1922 would be the end of the, uh, the Ottoman Sultanate, uh, so it's lasted for a long time, and. Uh, is what and it's ruled much of what we call the Balkans, the Middle East, North Africa today, including this piece of land called Anatolia that we are now in. Uh, and one of the remarkable things about our empire, I mean, there are things to criticize in our previous I mean, one of the remarkable virtues of the empire was that it was pluralist. It was a multi-ethnic and multi-loose empire. Well, many empires like that already, but not all. And especially in the Middle Ages in Europe, states that used to impose their beliefs, their identity on what we saw in the capital state. Spain, I think, the capital king of Spain tried to convert all citizens to Catholicism. Whereas in the other empire, it was accepted that Jews and Christians uh, and different faiths or different ethnicities for that matter were there and they had their space and they were accepted. And this actually comes from the basic teaching of Islam, which uh, respects Judaism Christianity, although it's there seems somewhat uh, like not as good as Islam, but still there said, well, there is some truth in those traditions, so they are accepted to, to exist. And the Ottomans Except Jews and Christian, different Christian denominations, the Armenian, the the churches. They accepted their existence and they lived under the Ottoman Empire. And actually, interestingly, when the Jews were expelled from Spain, they came not too surprisingly to Ottoman Empire, or Jews in the space. Of course, they were not equal citizens until the 19th century. And the traditional Islamic law regarded Jews and Christians. Zimbabweans, which means are protected, but some are technocrats. But they were even given equal citizenship in the 19th century reforms, which brought in many ideas from the West, like constitution, for example, like the idea of equal citizenship. Uh, 
And when the Ottoman Empire, I think that that's an important thing we should know. The Ottoman Empire was, in some ways, the pre-modern empire, from one perspective. But the other thing is, the empire started to modernize itself uh, from the 18th century on. And especially in the 19th century, there were many people in wars. And all the time to learn about what the idea is, why the idea is about the choice of free markets. And I think we have the next speaker who much more than to explain to us in a way. There were debates between French Enlightenment and the British way of modernization, for example. So I'm actually more inspired by British liberalism. Others were more influenced by the French Revolution and the Jacobin tradition of an enlightenment imposed on the society, for example. So there were all different sorts of debates. In the Ottoman Empire, we had a liberal party, the Ottoman party, which is freedom's interpretation, was uh, right there uh, in the important part. We had a good feminist class. So the modernization of the empire started, and that's why the Ottoman party did a constitutional monarchy in the 1870s. This is important because the official Turkish history of the Republic depicts the Ottoman Empire as a dark age, and then the Republic came us and shone like a star or a sun and just enlightened all of us before the darkness, which is not true. And that's the, of course, Republic brought in many reforms and continued modernization, but there's a history of that. So it not, did, not come, did not come to be ex-medieval. Now, of course, this multi-ethnic and multi-religious structure of the Ottoman Empire started to crumble down, started to disintegrate in the 19th century, basically because of nationalism. And first, the Balkan minorities, the Muslim minorities, the Balkans, they started national revolts against the Empire, the Serbian communities, and they gained their nation states. So the Empire started to retreat and build fast. And, and actually, nationalism explains both the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the rise of the modern Turkish nation state. Uh, and the great tragedy of the fellow Armenians in 1915, which is very much debated right now, which is a product of not the Ottoman system, but a product of the fall of the Ottoman system. Because the Armenians existed under the Ottoman rule for successfully, they were happy to move on. Actually, the Ottomans define the Armenians as the loyal nation. But when Armenian nationalism came in with the Russian support, you had a reaction to this nationalism. And in the war years, uh, during World War I, uh, from, especially in the faithful year of 1915, you had an Armenian nationalism coming in and backlash against the rights of government, which led to the deportation of Armenians, and which led to horrible tragedy, for sure. But it was because of the fall of the system. Uh, and what happened was that during the last decades of the Ottoman Empire, there were different ideological trends. One was called Ottomanism. And the Ottomanist trends were saying, well, we are equal citizens. Let's just emphasize the equal citizenship for all citizens. Let's try to keep with the Ottomanist model. The other idea was Islamism. Which was much more refined and sophisticated than today's Islamic fundamentals. And it was a way of saying, well, the Christian nations will go, and there's no way to keep them down, keep them in the empire. But let's emphasize the stars and unify and bond different Islamic ethnicities of the empire. And there was Turkism, 
was the third element. And the Turkish said that, well, Turks are really the core of the empire. And others will go, and Arabs will go, and Albanians will go. So just let's really emphasize the Turkish installments. And you had debates and you know, rivalry between these two groups. Well, Ottomans and died a little bit earlier because it was obvious that you could appease the Greeks from the Serbians of the Bulgarians, especially after the Balkan Wars, uh, in which you know, many Balkan nations fought against the Ottoman Empire. Ottomans were important, but then you had these debates between maybe Slums and Turks. Uh, and of course, there were different shades in the way between and what happened was when the Turkish Republic was founded after a war of liberation against the occupying powers, because Turkey was occupying Turkey, first of all, entered the World War I on the side of Germany, and the Axis powers both war, and after the war, Turkey was occupied by Greece, partly by British, and the settlers under British occupation. So the, 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 the Turks, and actually all the groups in Anatolia, fought a war of liberation against. Uh, and then Turkey was this, and we were the Turks, and the Turkey people, and the Turks. And the war was won, and the Turkish Republic was proclaimed in 1923. And I think there's a faithful point here. The, the Turkish war of liberation was not led by a revolutionary committee or something, it was led by parliaments, the Turkish. Parliament of Turkey, not Turkish, but Parliament of, Parliament of Turkey, which included Turks, Kurds, uh, some Arabs, which were still in the Ottoman and all sorts of different people, like some imams, some very secular people. It was a pluralist parliament, which really represented the whole nation as well. And in the parliament, you had two different, over time, you, you, there were two different trends. One was called the first group, the other one was called the second. And the first group was very much tied to the persona of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, the Turkey's founder, the, the first president. Uh, the second group was ideologically a bit more different. They were still fighting for independence, and they had a bit more career. And soon, the first group turned into the People's Republican Party. CHP, the Turkish officials, and its leader was Mustafa Kemal but he was not called at the time, he was called Mustafa Kemal Pasha, General And the second group was not really on the same page, and it was, over time, it turned into be led by a thousand credit, which was another general, but it was an important commission. And in 1943, the Jehovah was there, and in 1944, the second group turned into another party called or the Progressive Party. So, what you basically have is two different parties emerged after the World Depression. And the CHP was very much influenced by what I would call Enlightenment fundamentalism. It is, it's the same idea of French revolutionaries that you need to learn to modernize. You need to create a homogeneous nation. All ethnic differences should be swept aside. You should homogenize language. You should get rid of religion and tradition as much as we can, because religion is by definition a backward. And freedom is good, but unless you achieve 
this modernity freedom is that. So you have to postpone freedom to a point in which you will convert everybody to what you want. Uh, and if you can turn people into new human beings, freedom is good. But until that point, you cannot really accept the more democracy or democratic order. That was the serious fear, uh, which came from, well, general tradition, obviously. And then there was the other part, the second part, the more aggressive part. Well, they were not uh, inspired by the vision. They were, first of all, not that much in focus on the state as an you know, uh, Asian modernity. They were believing in free markets. They, they, they wrote their program, and of course, there is evidence of free markets. They were more influenced by the British tradition of modernization, in which tradition and religion is not seen as an end, but it just continues along the way as you modernize and you harmonize these you know, the, the tradition and modernity. And they were interestingly, uh, uh, and they were interestingly interested in integrating the Kurds into Turkey. Charles Kurdi, the leader of the party, wrote a Kurdish report in 1924. Well, it was a report of Kurds, uh, and how comfortable the Kurds are. He said, "Well, we should integrate the Kurds through agriculture, through you know, this fostering trade in that region, and through you know, spreading education." And through, through emphasizing the common traditional values of the spark in terms of curse. Whereas the CHP, the, the, the Jacobin party, was thinking about Turkifying the curves, and they did. Uh, in, well, what happened was that there was indeed a Kurdish revolt in 1945, and the CHP, first of all, pressured the revolt. And then close down the second progressive party, the Bolshevik party, and establish a single party regime, as we call it. The single party regime is actually a euphemism for truly speaking dictatorship. Uh, so, and not just the second party, but all civil society is crushed. I mean, Sufi overthrow and fall down, and even Freemason closet fell down, feminist order as well. Everything outside of state structure needs to be brought down because they believe in the principle of that states should really guide the whole society and state knows everything and state should really manage the whole society. And in the in the 30s, this trend, this authoritarian tradition became even much more uh, solidified because in the, I mean, the 30s was a time where in which you had a very authoritarian Europe. Not Germany was writing, Sweden was there. Well, Soviet Union wasn't really bad, seemingly, but it's fighting plans and so on. And the Turkey is TV appointment. We didn't study this from the European Union. We have the Israelites, too, because Turkey was in place of number. Everyone else. The Turkey there to be the seed race of the army, army and nation. And the size of the Turkish skull was crazy, you know, exhausting. Uh, so, some obvious racist ideas were there. Well, these. Well, what happened was that I mean, uh, these ideas didn't prevail that much, but their traces are still there. And it's why still you have a very vibrant national military. And the state thinks nationalism is a great thing to keep the nations solidified and homogeneous and strong. And I think that that state of that state of fraternity, that tradition still continues in Turkey and it continues all the way. But what happened was 
Uh, I just said the second line was crushed. The more conservative selection of the line was crushed uh, in 1945, but it didn't die out, of course. And Turkey had its first fair and free elections. Well, we had elections in the Ottoman side, but the Republican side. The first and free elections was held in 1950. And what happened in 1950? The party which represented the conservative slash liberal line came to power with the motto, enough, the nation has the word. Uh, because that was because the nation has the word is an interesting phenomenon. Because in the, in the 30s, the CHP elites defined themselves as a government for the people, in spite of the people. <laughs> and that's different from the American government speaking like government of the people, in spite of the people. So the, the, the opposition, uh, which was crushed, came back with, under, the, under the name Democratic Party, and they came with a great vote. The people were fed up with this protection. And they, and they won three elections in a row. All of the 1950s or 60s was under the Democratic Party. Unrestricted tribes. We got the first foreign investment, there was Marshall Plan. American money came in, churches both became member of NATO. The economy really made a great progress. And uh, what happened? Well, in 1960, the military stage of military coup, because the Republic was going the wrong way. Diversion of the original line. They executed the prime minister and two of his ministers after a short trial, and they again restored order. And then we had military coups and indirect coups, and, uh, and still goes on in Turkey. And this dichotomy between this authoritarian state tradition and, of course, the part of the society which lacks that, because when you have an authoritarian regime, some people like it because it's, I mean, they benefit from that. But the, but the bigger part of society doesn't like that. So you have this dichotomy between this authoritarian state tradition and the corporate party which presents that in the And on the other hand, you have this conservative slash liberal slash curves slash highs Muslims and all this big chunk of people who just want a more open system, a more open regime. Interestingly, liberals have been very influential in power because they create the firepower intellectually. They just create the ideas in which conservatives are getting more and more interested. And I think thanks to this tradition, right now we are having a very interesting synthesis of Islam and liberalism, which I think is a promise to for the whole of the world. And that's another issue which I do not want. And I think that I don't know is very important uh, and creating this. Citizens are being taken for example. Okay, a lot of us can speak about these, and maybe I should follow on the curve a little bit. And, uh, well, I think this background can give us some ideas, but if we speak specifically on the curve, I think the Kurdish issue is important because in the case study of this territorial tradition, it's a case study which shows that how the authoritarian tradition really harmed Turkey's efforts to modernization for creating a real point. The other part, 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 the other part,
slash federal government department engaged in one fifty-five percent of the Kurdish votes, whereas the Kurdish nationalists gained twenty-five percent of the votes, with about thirty percent in some ways. It shows that not all the Kurdish and Kurdish nationalists were dying to the Kurdish state. Many of them are not. And many of them are happy that Turkey reaches the Europe. But of course, the bad news is that that party is now being tried to close down by the constitutional court, which is a, which is the heir of that tradition, the state tradition, which crushes and reduces the entire world. That's going to have to design that. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. We have lunch now and then have the lunch for our first question and then a discussion.